0: So we are in a series. If you're if you're new, it's the first time. We are in a series called "The Sun," and it's all about awakening to the glory of Jesus. And we are going to spend a season. The idea of this whole series is spend a ridiculous amount of time of, of looking at Jesus, of gazing into His heart, poring over His teachings, examining His truths. And beholding his glory. And I believe as we do, we will have an unprecedented amount of transformation here at New Song. And last week we looked at the water to wine miracle in in Cana. And that was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory. And today we're going to be in John chapter 2. If you've got your, your Bibles or your devices and get them fired up. But in John 2, we'll see the very, very next event where Jesus again reveals uh, his glory. So this is found in John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money, and Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and he turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And and the first thing we have to do cuz people use this story a lot of times to try to convince us that Jesus is in a bad mood. Yeah yeah, we should laugh at that, right? Yeah. Like like he's 51% kind of ticked off at us, 49% pleased. Uh, it is a great day when we can finally reverse that and we figure out that Jesus is probably a little bit more pleased with us than he's <laughs> than he's angry with us. But I want, we need to put this thing in context for it to make sense. And, and during the Passover, uh, people were required to come from wherever they were. The, the Jewish people or people that wanted to worship uh, with them, they were all called from all of the regions and surrounding nations to come and worship in Jerusalem. It was a required thing. And if you were going to sacrifice a few doves, or let's say you had a really, really bad year, you made a, a ton of mistakes, it might be that you were going to bring uh, like ten bulls to be sacrificed if your sin was really big. But you know, travel was hard in that day, and it would be gone. If it was like, uh, like your worst year ever, it could be like cages of, of doves, sheep, Bulls, all of this. And travel back in the time, it was very, very difficult. It was very, very challenging. So even to try to come three or four or 10 or 30 days' journey with all of these animals and keep them fed was like a near impossible thing. So... uh Uh, And and so travel was hard enough, and perhaps the the sojourners that were coming, maybe they had currencies that were in other uh, countries, so they're absolutely, and and the temple took one kind of money, so it was absolutely necessary that there was some sort of exchange that would take place. People would have to exchange their money from whatever currencies they were to the temple, uh, the, yeah, the, the temple currency. Or maybe you would have to exchange money for some animal sacrifices. So either way, the exchange thing is a necessary thing. And I want to tell you that there was nothing wrong with this. And it, it was actually a good thing because it enabled people to worship more. Right? That's the whole job of worship leaders and all that is to help everybody get, get more involved in, in, in worship. But there was a big issue, and the issue was that they were charging fees and services, kind of service charges, on the money that was being exchanged. So it was just like those things that you buy not seen on TV and you get one, and it's, what, it's always nineteen ninety-five, and then they tell you, get ready to place your order because it's an amazing thing. They say, wait, hold on, not yet. For a limited time only, what happens? You get two. In fact, you, don't, you get, the extra one is free. All you have to do is pay for the shipping and the handling and the order charges and all of this. And pretty soon, your free a slicer or whatever it is ends up costing you 15 bucks. right, so this is what they're engaged with, these these fees and transactions. And what they were doing in doing this was that they were actually reducing the amount of of worship or sacrifice that a giver could give. I mean, if you can imagine coming days and days and weeks and weeks, and you're ready to pour it out before God. And let's say you had $100, and these guys were charging a service fee, and it was, uh, the whole problem that Jesus has is it uh, it it was exorbitant. It was usury. You come in, you got $100, all of a sudden, by the time you get done with these guys, you have like $80 to give. How are you going to feel? Right? They were actually hindering the scope of worship in the place. And the worst thing is that, that it, let's say it was $80 and, and 20 the worst part of it is that the $20 that was meant to go to the Lord went into their coffers for their own personal profit. So can we all see that that's going to be a problem for a holy and just God, for a holy, uh, holy place? They reduced it and what was meant for God they took for themselves. Worship was to be accessible for everyone and Jesus saw a system of ethnic And religious pride, and he came in and he cleansed the temple. So you might be asking, well, how does him turning over some tables actually reveal uh, his, his glory? Some may have thought, I think, if we would have been there, that maybe Jesus had anger issues or maybe he was trying to draw attention to himself. And certainly if we go on in chapter 2, we'll see that once Jesus does this, that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, get all offended and say, hey, what authority do you have? And, and actually we want to see a miracle right here, right now to prove that you have uh, that authority, uh, that authority, but really it was just the overturning of the tables. That single act that there didn't need to be any more proof that Jesus was Messiah. His actions revealed exactly who he was, revealed his glory, and when that action of turning over the tables, it actually pointed the disciples to an Old Testament. Uh, prophecy that would confirm exactly who Jesus was. And that is found, we continue in John 2, John 2, 17. And it says this, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Where did they get this prophecy? They were reading their Bibles. Or scrolls, I guess is what they had, right? But they're reading scriptures. And it says this, passion for God's house will consume me. And for those that may have been for a time confused about Jesus' actions, the the scriptures actually gave them a perspective on exactly what Jesus was doing and it revealed the glory of Jesus to them because they knew their word. They knew that Jesus had a heart for the house because he was Messiah and that's exactly what Messiah uh, came to do. And I want to tell you that there's a lot of things that we can see Jesus do and be a little bit confused. And we can misinterpret some of the things that Jesus is doing unless we are in the Word and unless we are holding what we see and what we are experiencing up to Scriptures. You might be thinking the highest level of truth is in our experience or in our circumstance. I want to tell you, it is not. It is found in the Word of God. So, if you're taking notes, make a note to self. Pastor's saying, read the Bible. Read my Bible. Here's why a delayed answer to prayer, or sometimes Jesus may give us a, a yes, uh, but not now. And if you don't know what the scriptures say, you can experience that as abandonment, or you can experience a lack of faith. But it, all it is is that Jesus in scripture, in Matthew 28, I believe it says, that Jesus promised us that he would be with us. Always. See how important it is to know Scripture and to let that influence the way that we experience life. And the, the Scripture verse that, that, that the disciples, you know, what came to their mind was actually found in, in, in Psalm sixty nine nine, And it says this, Passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. I don't want to read it in another translation. If we we can put that up. The Passion Translation. Now, Passion Translation, I want to tell you, this is a great uh, thing. I've really enjoyed reading it. I'm not as, I haven't read like the whole uh, papers on, on the, the method of interpretation and everything about everybody that's, that's writing it, but I want to tell you it's, it, it's really, really good. And maybe it falls in the, the category of paraphrase, but I, I encourage you to, to to begin to to use it in your devotions. But it says this, my love for you has my heart on fire. My passion consumes me for your house. Nothing will turn me away even though I endure all the insults of those who insult you it's this passion and fire but I want to tell you I can guarantee you that this house that Jesus came into the temple at the time it was not a perfect place it had it had plenty of issues so was Jesus passionate about what the house had become not the answer is no. He, hadn't, he wasn't passionate about that. But he was passionate about the Father's vision for the house. He was passionate about the, the Father's uh, purposes and the plan and the very DNA and the inheritance that belonged to the, the people of God. He was passionate about the purpose of the church. He laid down his life for the church. And as we talked about last week, this whole culmination of all the events of this age end in a wedding celebration where the groom comes back for his bride. Jesus had uh, a heart for the house. And because of this, it, it enabled him to put the house back on track. Jesus came to restore the house. And he did this in three ways. The first is with right worship. He purified the temple and showing that he had come to remove all barriers to the worship of God. He came to remove uh, the barriers between God and people, that whatever could not be attained through the continual sacrifice system that they had, Jesus would attain uh, by his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. And he also came to uh, take down all the barriers, remove all the barriers between people, making them free not to profit or rip each other off like the money changers were doing and, and, and in their relationship trying to get something extra, not to, to use each other, but to be there to serve each other. And Jesus' heart, his, his heart for the house was greater than his heart for the approval of people. We see two groups of people that Jesus uh, would definitely have kind of ruffled some feathers on that morning. And you know what? He didn't care what the big tithers thought. He didn't care about the merchants, the people that were selling and, and the business people in there. He also didn't care at all. Like I said, if you read the rest of the, the, this event, we'll see that the, this, the Pharisees are extremely offended and just demanding. If you are that person right now, we can see what you're doing. You're trying to allude to the prophecy of Psalm 69, nine. but if you're really that person, we got to see a, a sign. We have to see a wonder. We have to see it right here and now. Jesus didn't care much about their opinions. We have to be the same way. We have to have a heart for the house. We have to have some zeal or passion. I want to tell you, I had a... uh, when I first began in ministry, I was, I was a worship leader, and I, I wanted to do everything the right way, and I probably had a little bit of overkill, but what I did is I had this form, maybe kind of a standard form in some churches, but I wanted people to tell me about their salvation experience. Uh, I want them to write out uh, if they studied music, what their, if they had experience, if they had served previously, you know, all these things to be able to check these boxes, but here's what I found. Here's what I found, that for every person that filled out the application, like just the way a pastor or worship leader wants to see it, for every person that was a great team member, the people that would fill it out the same way were actually uh, not that great of team member's. And sometimes people that didn't fill out the application in just the right way actually ended up becoming some of the best people that we ever had. I'm just like, Lord, it's scratching my head. Like, how is this so? And and God really said, Jeff, he goes, change the application. And here is the application. I want it to be a one-word question. And the one-word question was, tell me about your heart for the house. Tell me about your passion and your love for this place. And and like Jesus wasn't saying, I have a passion for the house. Jesus wasn't saying, i got a passion for the four walls and the building and the instruments and the gold and the articles and everything in there. He was uh, talking about everything else. And one simple answer telling me about their heart for the house, uh, I I would get all the, the, the answers would be revealed. I knew if they would invest into the lives of others. I knew if they would be okay if somebody else got the limelight on the stage. I knew if they would give. I knew if they would be on time. I knew if they would resolve conflict in a biblical way. I knew all of those things just from the one question. And the same is true for us, like our uh, in our heart for the house or the lack thereof it, a lot of things are revealed. About us. And my prayer this morning is that we would all have a heart for the house. And if it's not this one, then, then, then someplace else. And if you're just visiting, have a heart for, for the, the place that you're from and the place that you typically go to. But this word zeal in Psalm 69, it talks about have a zeal for your house or a, a passion for your house. It's really a cool word. It's uh, kana in uh, Hebrew. And it's, it's it's a righteous jealousy. It means zeal and, and, and passion. And the, the crazy thing is, and I'm so glad I looked this word up this week, is that it's the same word that is used of God's zeal and passion for you and for me. That's It's the same word to describe that. I want to tell you, that's some high-level zeal right there. It's a good thing to find a house that has a heart for you, but you also need to find a place where you have a heart for the house. It, it's good. We want, you want to find a place that has a zeal and a passion for you, and I want to guarantee you, I have, we have got a zeal and a passion uh, for you guys. We do. And you want to be in a place where you're celebrated and not just tolerated. You know what the difference is, right? You guys have felt that when you've been in in certain groups or certain family situations. we got Thanksgiving coming up, right? And you got some relatives that are coming over to your house or you're going over to somebody else's house and you're just going to tolerate them, right? Weird Uncle Frank. You know he's going to drink too much. At some point in time throughout the day, he's going to lose his shirt and... You know he, he's gonna he's gonna put on a lampshade on there. So you just kind of know. And I'm sorry if you if you're uh, Uncle Frank. We don't. I don't have an Uncle Frank, so I'm not. I'm just. It, it's like so far removed. But you guys know what I mean. You want to be in a place where you're celebrated and not just tolerated. But but you also want to have a, a heart for the house that you're in. And some people, sadly, have never looked for a church this way. It's never been part of the criteria. It's, 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 it's kind of like this. So let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 18. I want to look at this uh, very simple principle of, of placement and calling. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Or some of your translations may say he puts people just as he sees it, just as he sees fit. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking about placement and purpose and calling. And a good friend, uh, a friend of mine, Pastor uh, Whitman Tolan, says, Until we embrace the fullness of God's pres- uh, placement, we will never experience the fullness of God's placement. Until we embrace The fullness of God's placement. We will never experience the fullness of God's placement. We will just remain drifters. We'll remain consumers, never really satisfied. And it's hard to be. Uh, in a place where you're consumed with a heart for the house when our mindset is, is just on going from church to church instead of coming out of a place and coming to a place based on a sense of call and placement. So that's what I'm talking about today, a sense of call and placement, a, a, a zeal. And I just wanted to make more sense today to go forward and, and go all in at a church, whether it's, it's this one or any other place, for you to go all in rather than holding back. I want it to make more sense to go all in. So what does heart for the house uh, look like? The first thing is that we, uh, we want to pray in the house. So this is how we develop uh, a, a, a zeal. You might say, oh, hey, I'm not quite there yet. I'm looking at this thing a little bit differently this morning. But this is where we do it. We, have, we pray in in the house. Matthew 21:13 is he said to them the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. Everybody say that. House of prayer. And I want to tell you that this place right here is was soaked in prayer. It's one year later. But along all of these perimeter walls, so this wall, that wall, there and on all the offices and in the kids' room, every bit of perimeter wall that was prayed for and there were scripture verses, there's not this much of any wall all around this place that is, doesn't have scripture written on the drywall and it's behind, I'll just guarantee you take my word for it, it's behind the paint. If you want to see where it is, you can go into the janitor's closet underneath the stairs and you can look where we ripped it off and it, it's an unpainted wall. If you look closely on some of the walls, you'll even see like there's indentations for the paint and the builder said hey you want us to like smooth those things out and i said absolutely not we want to we see that place. We want to remind ourselves that this place was soaked in prayer. We have prayer on Tuesday night, and, 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 and for the next few weeks, we don't have anything going on on, on Wednesday nights on, on purpose. Uh, feel free to come to prayer on Tuesday night. We have a ministry team. You can also participate and pray in the house on a, on a ministry team. And the second thing I would say is that pray for the house. So pray in the house, pray for the house, pray for your church family, pray for the leadership here, pray for the prayer requests that come in. You can join that team to be on the, the, the prayer list. But James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Pray for each other. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, anybody here righteous? Let me see your hands if you're Righteous righteous means uh, you're right with God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are righteous. So the prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Well, sometimes I don't feel like my prayers are so fervent. I don't feel like I'm getting all the results. I want to tell you that the truth is here in scripture. Know this scripture. Let it let it let it shape your prayer life, not the things that you don't think that God might be doing. Earnest prayer the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And I want to tell you, every wonderful result that's ever happened in our church families because, came because somebody was praying. And the third thing is serve the house. And this will come out of our, our love. And I've heard uh, Pastor Bill Johnson say, like, hey, that, 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 that lovers make better workers. That, that you know, if, if there's somebody that has a zeal for the house, they just naturally. And I think that's what I discovered when I talked about this application uh, process. And the third thing is serve the house. If you have a heart for this house, I want to tell you protect it or, or steward it in this way. Take care of it. Uh, it you know, in, in a family, somebody's got to take out the trash. We've got clean teams. Uh, that come and what we these clean teams do, they come on Saturdays, totally behind uh, the scenes, and it's an amazing thing. But in their service, they are declaring like, "Hey, God, thank you so much for your provision for this place. We're gonna we're gonna take care of it. Provide meals. That's the other thing. So it's protection, it's provision. Provide meals. Uh, come and exchange baby clothes. I want to tell you that in this congregation, is that some people have given other people cars." It's an amazing thing how this works when you have a zeal for the house, a a love for the people in the house. And if this is your house, bring in your offerings and uh, your gifts. We are not legalistic about giving. We don't believe that 10% is uh, an an obligation. What we say is that we're not obligated to 10%, we're free to give 100%. But in there, it's just not right. At some point in time, I know we all have ups and downs, but if, if you're going all year and you haven't given something, I want to tell you that, that something's off, something's, something's just not right. And wherever you're going, not just here, if you're visiting, wherever that place is, you know, whatever you work out between you and the Lord to give, do it uh, happily and do it with uh, rejoice as, as you do it, but, but, but seek Him uh, on it. And the last thing is relationship and connection. I want to tell you that to that part of serving the house and serving people here is if you see somebody that's that's a, a visitor, like go and, and and talk to them. If you know somebody just that's been here for a while and they're just kind of off to the side, like go up and say hi. Sit with people. I mean, we know who the visitors are, right? Because typically they come on time, right? We don't know how the coffee system works here, and uh, all of that. But they come on time, and maybe they're d- dressed just a little bit better because they didn't want to be underdressed, right? The wife's like, "We can't go like that. We gotta do this, right?" But we have to uh, serve people when we we have, and when we we we're, we're lovers of the house, when we have a heart for the house. This is this is how it is is expressed. This is how we move past ourselves and this is how we enable the worship of everybody in the house so I want to tell you to find that place that has zeal for you but also have the zeal for the house embrace Paul's teaching to the church in Corinthians where he's saying placement and calling Everything. It's it's not a random kind of a thing. Lastly, I'll say that I I believe New Song is a is a good place to place your your zeal. It's not a perfect place, but it's but it's a good place. You've met some of the people this morning just in our worship and the offering and, and hopefully out in the hallway and things, and this is this is an okay place. But wherever it at is at that, that you, you've got zeal, I mean that's the place to go. So we just I just want you to 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 pray this morning and just ask God as is as, as we do. Like where is my my sense of, of placement and, and calling here in the house. These are, these are issue, really issues of, of the heart. And so I encourage you, if you're comfortable, just even put your hand o- over your heart and, and begin to pray. Lord, where is my placement? Actually, Lord, where's your placement? And I I pray right now, Lord, for all the the reasons that we find it difficult not to have zeal through past experiences that we've had. All the places it's difficult for us to have zeal. Would you do a work among us and over us and in us right now by the power of your Spirit? That we have to, we fall in love and we make a building an idol. Lord, but we need, we need a, a zeal to have a, a passion for your vision for the, the church, for your purposes for the church. Lord, for the the calling on the church, Lord, for the the, the DNA and the the great inheritance that belongs to the church. Lord, we need to have a, a, a zeal for those and we need to have a zeal for the people that are in your house.